yeah. none of this has anything to do with people the episode. who listen to podcasts are basically pieces of shit i think that's what we can all agree on you know as someone who listens to a lot of podcasts i uh i, I would tend to agree i'm kind of a piece of shit i live with it the rest of the world uh shouldn't have to bear the burden of my presence uh Boy, we should really talk about the episode that we both feel kind of weird about, huh? Yeah. Well, I want to. I want to take a step back and just say, who am I to judge anyone for liking true crime or bad podcast hosts for making shitty true crime shows? Yeah. This is, after all, the Big Bang Theory. Theory. Hi, Hi I'm Kyle. I'm Nick. What do we do, Kyle? Uh, every week, uh, in Nick's sad basement, we watch an episode of the Big Bang Theory, and. Most of the time, it's awful, bordering on unwatchable. Occasionally, it's shockingly funny. And then sometimes it's just weird. Yeah. Sometimes it's weird. Today was a weird one. Sometimes and you really we... got to sit back and reflect. <laughs> and you just got to gotta go with it. You just got to talk about what happened. Yeah. And that's not to say this was a, a bad episode. I didn't hate this episode. No, but... It just, it just dealt with... Uh, everyone trying to dance around Sheldon's childhood trauma for the entire episode. Badly. Pretty badly. <laughs> really badly. Not doing a good job. Um, I guess we should describe the episode itself, which is real easy this time. Uh, Penny uh, informs Leonard that a friend of hers is going to be staying on the couch. This friend... Uh, on, on her couch. Uh, this friend is someone that she had previously hooked up with. He was a musician who Leonard is uncomfortable with staying on the couch because, of course, musicians are, I don't know, notoriously horny or whatever, uh, not to mention just being her ex. And the whole rest of the episode is them fighting about it, both sides refusing to give in, uh, and Sheldon the entire time running into whatever quarter he can find to hide from the ghosts of his parents who had never stopped fighting around him and would talk about how drunk they are and how much they, they hate each other and want to just skeet shoot and get away from their stupid relationship and how it's not really Sheldon's fault, but Sheldon just has to be there to deal with it because he's just a child. He doesn't have any control over his situation. You can't blame Sheldon for any of this. That's like the whole episode. Fair. I think only the dad was a drunk, you know. Only the dad was the drunk, yes. The mother was the religious Jesus freak who would just pray instead of taking any concrete steps to fix her life. Yes, and who, as the episode mentioned, was confident that God would forgive her if he if she started putting shards of glass in her husband's meatloaf. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know yeah, what Yeah, that line was in this episode, wasn't it? Holy shit! I don't know. I think the full implications of that just sort of hit me. But this is this is the brine pickled throat thing all over again. That's exactly what I. Oh man, I'm. Oh, oh, this is briny pickled tongue going down my throat. For people who haven't been listening since the beginning, I'm not going to explain that to you. That's what you get. Um. Yeah. I. It's not like. Okay, and then there's. This is so hard to talk about because like that's the whole episode. I don't know what else to talk about other than this is the one episode where I was like, ah, oh, poor little Sheldon. Yeah. Someone think of Sheldon for once. Yeah, it's it's actually it's probably the most realistic behavior I've ever seen from Sheldon is when they first start p- fighting. He just gets up and he goes over to the uh, blender mm-hmm. and turns it on, and and Penny is like, what is he doing? And Leonard, in the middle of their fight, is like, oh, he can't stand the sound of people fighting, so he's using, he's just going over and he's using the blender to mask out the sound. And it's almost worse about how transparent everyone is about it, because they're not like, what's wrong with Sheldon? He got really upset when we were fighting. I don't know, like, 
maybe he had this situation in the past. Maybe he's uncomfortable with what we're talking about. No, Leonard's is straight up like, yeah, no, he hates this. This <laughs> yeah. is, this will drive him nuts every time. Yeah. And so we'll let's just do just, it around him as much as possible. This is just triggering every single insecurity and problem he has. Yeah, as his longtime friend, I know that he has deep-seated issues with his parents' relationship, and he would really... He would rather stab himself in the eyeballs and be around us. But Penny, you and I have to talk right in front of him right now and forever. <laughs> ah, boy. Um, and then, ah, God damn it, it's so hard. I I, I, I want to talk about that, and I feel like I've already said there all is to say about it. And then I just want to talk about poor Stewart at the comic book shop. <laughs> yeah. Also, well, and so the, there's no real B plot in this episode, no. but. You know, in, it's interesting because they tie Raj and uh, Wallowitz into this one because when Raj and Wallowitz find out about the fight, it triggers their own because they each have a different perspective on the fight and who's at fault, and that triggers their whole relationship drama. So, in a very real and terrifying way, it's like Sheldon can't escape anywhere he goes because. Yeah, there's almost not quite a, a montage, but there's a few scenes pasted together of Sheldon uh, first tr- like first trying to go to Penny and Leonard and then they're fighting and then he tries to go to Raj and Raj is fighting with his parents online and then he tries to go to Wallowitz and Wallowitz is fighting with his mom as like Sheldon just cannot escape Ev- everyone else's hatred for each other Sheldon is the only pure and innocent good in this world he made a board game in this episode called, what was it just research lab was research it lab yeah where the the science is theoretical but the fun is real. So I have all sorts of thoughts on the design scheme of Research Lab. Please do. I really like Research Lab. Okay, here's what's up. Uh, this episode was weird. Everyone just treated Sheldon poorly. What was the name of it? Oh, boy. Uh, I don't know. Let's go to the official name site called Wikipedia, where I have a bookmark set up. I'm definitely not scrambling to get to it right now. Oh, I mean, You could just pause it. I could just pause it. But uh, I think I'd rather do all this live so I can really make a whole thing about it that no one's ever going to want to listen to because that's how I do. Okay, okay, okay. List of Big Bang Theory episodes. The very first episode in the series was called The Batfish Paradigm. Uh, where are we? Why was it called the... You would think... Man, that's going to drive me crazy. Wait, no, that was season two. Number one was the big brand hypothesis. Oh, it was pilot, and then the big brand hypothesis. I remember the big brand hypothesis. Okay. Okay, today's episode was the guitarist amplification. Because amps. Yeah. And musicians. (laughs) And I guess it sort of amplifies their emotions all to a... It does. A high tenor. Also, uh... To jump to jump around, uh, at the very end of the episode, uh, Leonard and Penny do eventually come to an understanding where, I don't know, I guess Leonard kind of wins because Penny's like, yeah, it probably isn't reasonable for me to just invite dudes to sleep over on my couch if we're in a relationship. Uh, and then the compromise is to have him sleep on Leonard's couch. Well, well, Sheldon is just there dealing with it. Sheldon just cannot catch a break. Well, but... no, I feel like that's... So, not to get too dark, but I feel like they really capture the dynamic of the... Like, the whole... Uh, the uh, whole... The, the... Well, this is... So, my main objection to this episode is it really nails the joke. Like, it, it understands this joke better than, like... 
like it understands this episode whoever wrote it understands like what's at the setup like what the point of the setup of this episode is better than almost any episode of the big bang theory i've ever seen it's just such a fucked up thing to make a joke out of because the joke is really oh they are basically dysfunctional parents and sheldon is the child of two dysfunctional parents and he is playing the middleman between them like a real child yes. using very recognizable coping mechanisms to try to get his parents who should know better to reconcile so that he can have some semblance of stability in his life. Yeah. yeah. And they really do carry it through the whole uh journey of of what it's like to have your parents constantly fighting yeah they have him do the thing where he goes to each of them individually and he tries to intercede on the other's behalf and begs them to like yeah we both know you're really the right one but he just can't understand so can you just please yeah be the bigger person and apologize please and then when that doesn't work he he flees he runs away to the comic book shop where he just shuts down in a pile of comics uh and then they uh leonard and penny had to both try to assuage him. Uh, wait, that doesn't make sense. No, you're right. That's the right word. Oh, all right. Assuage. I think, yeah, I, I've never, I never thought of that as like being something you'd apply to person. I guess uh, it's, you're right. It's like emotions. Assuage his, his, his sense of abandonment yeah, or whatever. To soothe him, to, to assuage the situation. Um, but the, uh, they do it in the same like kind of unfortunate manipulative way you'd think where it's like all right let's just say we'll do this we'll buy him the toy we'll get him out of here uh and then i don't know i guess they have and then they force an, yeah they have angry makeup sets and they force an uncomfortable compromise that he has to bear 90 percent of the consequences of yeah yeah so sometimes when we watch an episode and i'm like hey I found something relatable in here. Wouldn't it be fun if we just talked about that and how it applied to our own lives? Nope. Hey, hey, hey Kyle, you want to tell me about nope. your, your parents getting in fights all Absolutely the time? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, me neither, man. This is... Uh, I think maybe... Now I'm trying to imagine, like, the person who can't relate to this episode or who, like, it's so ingrained in them, their parents fighting like that, that they're like, oh, it's normal. What's a big deal? Sheldon's in his happy place. Why? What's funny about this? I just don't understand. Well, we all have to go to our happy place. Let's well, fuck yeah, I'm sure there are people like that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them. A lot of people who are not doing their best to fund the therapy economy. Yes. You know them because they emotionally shut down in weird situations and then just start walking away. Have you ever had a friend do that? Or maybe you've been the person to do that. But have you ever just, like, you'll be in the middle of a conversation and a person just gets suddenly weird and upset and rather than explain it, they just, like, go blue screen on you and just take off, like, into the night? I think I've been on both sides of that. Yeah. I, I think when I was uh, a troubled teen, that was my my instinct reaction was to be like, I don't understand what's happening. I don't want anything more with this. I'm out of here. Which would then involve me taking, like, hour or two hour long walks home from like friends places because i was just like oh i'm gonna explode uh man i said i wasn't gonna talk about like our our own stuff and here i'm like yeah when i was like 19 i just couldn't deal with shit yeah it's i mean we don't have to get into it i'm sure you're right people can either relate to this or the people who can't relate to it go get some help man unless you're like one of the like if you're one of those people oh. who actually had like a happy childhood and whose parents were loving and supportive all the time and you have no complaints whatsoever, fuck you. And also, Kyle, this is where I hate to say it, we have to we have to disagree on something about 
how this should be handled. You say they should get help. I say healthy, happy people don't contribute much to society. <laughs> they're they're pretty boring. They're just like, you know what? I can't wait to pay off my car. That's going to be exciting because I don't have other things to worry about. What am I going to have for dinner on Friday of next week? Ooh, really got to fill this schedule in my life because I'm not just constantly trying to process the trauma that makes it hard for me to get out of bed. No, I, I don't want that. I want them producing their trauma into quality television shows like <laughs> The Big Bang Theory. That's what I want. That's for, I just want to point out, just for a second, not to be a... Not to get too real on you, but your entire conception of happiness is obviously framed in such a way as to show that you don't really understand what it's like. That's true. <laughs> I, I, I imagine that's something like... Uh, I, this is something that I think I had a very uh, glib take on when I was younger, also probably when I was like 19, which I think still kind of stays with me, but I don't trust happiness. I, th I think of like happiness and being content as just like giving up. Like, yes, what do you know? I know that might be. <laughs> I, so I, I don't think I have the tools to convince you that's <laughs> oh, no, a problem. Oh no, it's getting too real. <laughs> but that might be a problem. That might be a, a sticking point, as they say in the therapy circles, ah. that you might want to get over. Oh, you know, at least put it like this. Uh, yeah, I get that. But, you know, it's also, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like I read in a book the other day. It's like, if you, uh, if you've never had an opiate, opiate high, don't undersell it. You don't know. Also, other, to, to change gears, um, when, so Stuart who is the guy that runs the, the local comic book shop in the show. He shows up in the episode, and I remember when I first saw him in this episode, I was like, man, I wonder how Stuart goes on living, like, knowing that, like, he totally could have made out or had, like, the sexy times with Penny if only he weren't so naive that when, in a previous episode, she invited him up to his place for coffee, he didn't understand what that meant and legitimately it was like it's too late for coffee what are you talking about and then as i'm thinking about that i i hope this is a recurring thing now when penny shows up at the comic book shop oh man he's so sad <laughs> he's like just oh hey you guys having a fight oh that's a bummer i love you like oh stewart yeah. you poor poor soul yeah or uh he has the great line too about how um he's like yeah i was thinking about calling this in the shop early but that would just be going to a different smaller room where i'm alone with nothing but comic books yeah <sighs> poor, poor Stuart. yeah he really sells that character doesn't he he's uh he's great well i think what's great about him is like he seems like a pretty normal guy <laughs> Who is also, like, he doesn't have any, like, terrible character flaw that makes him deranged like anyone else on the show. He's just like, yeah, we're going to comic ship. It's not bad. Uh, man, I had the chance to, like, totally bone this super hot lady and I blew it. And Can you believe it? Yeah, also I'm consumed with crippling loneliness. Waka waka. Waka waka. Doo doo. Yeah. Um, Kyle, this is weird. I feel like I didn't have as much to talk about this episode as I wanted to. And I also feel like we are already starting to get to close to wrap-up points. I don't know. Anything else you want to talk about? Any other parental trauma or coping mechanisms you want to get into? So I want to talk about how um, I hinted at this earlier, but there's nothing wrong with the game that Sheldon designs. It just doesn't right, right, seem right, right, like right, right. the type of game as someone who has... I won't say I've studied board game design because I definitely have not. Um, but it seems like the kind of... Uh, 
hardcore nerd like Sheldon is, like the game does a very good job of accurately reflecting his interests. Yes. But the actual rule set is very is like Candyland level basic, which doesn't seem like the type of game that like someone like Sheldon would actually design. Like it seems like he designed something that was at least like on the level of like Dominion or Lords of Waterdeep or something like that. Yeah, so like the board itself, if I was looking at it right, looked looked like the the structure of an atom. Was that correct? Well, yeah, I mean the metaphorical drawing of an atom that you see with the intersecting. Oh yeah, no, it looks like a real atom, Kyle. The elliptical orbits, yes. God damn you! Atoms look different. That's the whole point. Yeah, that's right. A hydrogen atom looks different from a fucking uh, helium atom. Yes, it does. I'm sorry that I can't identify which specific atom it was. It's not any of them. That's my point. But. And you, no, sort of, no, I'm not letting sort of, this go, Kyle. This is you, the sort of thing Sheldon would know. When you look at a science book, you can be like, oh, that's an atom. I know it's not really an atom. I know that there are cartoon drawings floating around in my body that make up my entire molecular structure, Kyle. Well, good, good. Jesus Christ. Someone just started making it. Someone just put the podcast down and went to go make themselves a smoothie. As well they should, because they have to just fucking cope with this fighting. Uh, All I know is I side with Dr. Manhattan, who they wanted him to wear something like that on his chest, and he's like, that is bullshit. I will carve a helium atom, or a hydrogen atom, into my forehead, because I'm extra that way. Oh my god, I don't even want to go on. I feel exhausted just from that bit of yelling. Anywho, I was going to say... After the shape of the board, you're talking about how it reflects his interests. For example, uh, Penny makes a roll that it's not even clear whether she just lands on this space or if it's the die is attached to something else. I think it is Candyland, like you said. You just roll and you move. But she gets to replace her old uh, Russian atom-splitting facility, her Soviet-era facility, with a large Hadron Collider. And, of course, Sheldon gets to... Slap hands, clappy, clappy, giddy about that while Penny doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. And so, yes, it has the cute little things like that that fill it in. But the gameplay itself does seem to be, as uh, I've heard described, roll the dice, move the mice. Yes, that's that, you know, the game of life. Basically, games designed for, like, people who are, you know, can't handle it, like, 12-year-olds and below. 12-year-olds? 12-year-olds 12-year-olds is, like... Two to three times older than anyone who should be playing Candyland. Um, I'm, I'm including the like Monopoly and the Game of Life in there. Like okay. those are games that are played by older people, but they're fundamentally the same. You think that there's this is actually one of the interesting things about those games is 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 they did a study when someone's winning at Monopoly, they will tell you that there's a lot of skill involved, and when they're losing at Monopoly, they're fully like. I'm not sure that they're actually more rational, but they're fully like willing to admit what's closer to the truth, which is that, oh yeah, this is all bullshit based on lucky dice rolls, isn't it? Man, I feel like, I don't know if this is what you're getting at, but like, I feel like you can break those two types of people down into just all people that are alive. Like, people who are born into wealth thinking, I did this because uh, my, my good genes made this happen and I can maintain it. Versus someone like me who's like, no, I'm trash and everything is trash. I hate this. I hate being alive. Well, it is. Uh, what I'm saying is that your outlook on life depends on what kind of game you think life is. Do you yes. think life is like well, chess? Wh- no, where... that's not what you. Not what kind of game it is, but whether you're winning the game. Well, it's both, right? <laughs> it's people who are winning, like Jeff Bezos, always will tell you that life is incredibly complicated, but they're incredibly skilled at playing it, and that's why they're successful and deserve everything they have. Yes. Actually, even people like Donald Trump will tell you. 
you know, who who fundamentally don't actually understand the rules of the game yeah. will tell you that they are, you know, that they're incredibly successful and have worked very hard. I mean, Donald Trump is literally, is I think the closest real life equivalent to a child who had a lucky streak at Monopoly of any human being I've ever met in my life. And he just does not seem to appreciate that. I don't know. I think he's doing a pretty good job. Uh, it turns out you can't kill someone with your eyes. That's right. <laughs> um, this is one of those pauses that lasted for 15 seconds that I will truncate down into a second and a half. So, no, you know, I won't this time. I will leave this long, awkward pause so everyone can know just how much Kyle wanted to, like, have his laser eyes activate to burn through my skull. So, all I'm saying, have you ever, like, I've there was a game... <laughs> My uh, my brother and I, my brother's really into board games, and, uh, well, I am too, I guess, but, um... He's Not one, me, he's, baby! He's the one who, I know. <laughs> you, yeah, but anyway, he he bought this board game called Scythe, because it was well-recommended, and within, mm. like, five minutes of taking out the board and setting it up, like, you always know you're in trouble when the rule book is, like, you know, a tome. Yeah. And... And just setting it up and trying to, like, like we tried to watch a, it's one of those things where, like, they don't even try anymore. They basically outsource this to YouTube, where you watch people who make YouTube tutorials for how to play. And just watching someone on YouTube try to explain the different phases of every turn, like the six different things that you had to do in your turn, or that, like, and would resolve before it was the next turn, was just so bonkers that we both sort of start bursting out laughing at the absurdity of it. And I'm not trying to, like, mock anyone who's into those kind of games. It's not my thing, but it's perfectly the, legitimate. But it does seem like... They're very complicated. They're more complicated, and it seems more like the kind of thing that someone like Sheldon would actually design if you were building a game. Which is yes. just me saying this is another example of where the writers, they sort of understand the type of things that nerds are into, but not, like... But they just really suck at nailing down, like, the the hardcore, like, details that lend it sort of tangible legitimacy. So I guess they don't understand nerd board games as well as they understand nerd emotional abuse and trauma. Ooh. Ooh. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe, maybe they're not nerds. I mean, we know they're probably not nerds, the people that write this show. But maybe they've just been hurt and are trying to take it out on nerds. Well, I like to imagine <laughs> that it's just one of them, that there's a bunch of guys in a room and most of them are pretty, like... You know, ah, whatever. Let's let's have the blonde girl, you know, s slip and get her top stuck in the shower this week, and then she has to get Wallowitz to help fish her out. Won't that be awkward? Waka waka waka. And then they turn to Steve in the corner, and Steve's like, "Well, yeah, we could do that, but also, what if Wallowitz was molested by a clown, and something about the situation reminds him of that time—the deep shame and embarrassment of being at the circus when he was 12." And not being able to escape, and not feeling like he could explain to everyone because they'd all just think it was funny. But it... well, Greg, that was a really specific <laughs> thing. I mean, yeah, we. I guess we can write that into an episode. I don't know though. That was. Are you okay, dude? Do you need to get a coffee? Let's get a coffee, man. Yeah, that's. I um, don't. I don't drink coffee ever since. Ever since the storm. <laughs> The blackness reminds me of the closet that I had to hide in. <laughs> the only thing scarier than the the crashing thunder were the threats that my father was screaming. Yeah. No, there is. Um... We really should wrap up, unless there's anything else you want to get into, my good friend. Ah, uh, now give the plug. 
All right. Hey, you're listening to the Big Bang Theory Theory. We're a show that you found on the internet, and you should tell other people about it. Uh, because we don't bother promoting or anything, we uh, increase in listener size glacially slow. I assume by people trying to find a positive podcast about the Big Bang Theory, accidentally finding this and just sticking with it. Uh, but yeah, tell your friends, g- give us readings on iTunes, uh, add yourself on our Facebook group. You can either search for it by searching for Big Bang Theory Theory on Facebook, or you can go to bbttpodcast.com, which will just link you there, and then you can join in that way. Uh, we post all the episodes on there, people can comment on them, etc., etc. Uh, we also have a Twitter, which is bbtheorysquared. Uh, Kyle's in charge of that. I don't know how it's going. If it's going poorly, blame him. If it's going great, uh, except that I probably encouraged him to do better. Does that sound right? And so, true story, I haven't looked. I keep up with our Facebook page a lot. I don't even remember the last time I looked at our Twitter page. I mean, Twitter is a toxic hole anyway. I don't think it's too worth investing in that. But I mean, if people like suddenly started tweeting at us, I'm sure I would start paying attention. But since no one on Twitter seems to give a shit about us, you know. It's fine. Yeah, I think you really have to produce the content to make the people care about it. I'm not saying you should, but I'm just saying that I don't expect anyone's is going to suddenly surge towards our Twitter for no good reason. That's true. <laughs> All right. With that, we should wrap up and get into our nerdy thing of the week. Woo. Um, I'm panicking. I didn't think ahead. Kyle, what's your nerdy thing? Uh, I didn't think ahead either, but I'll buy you some time. Well, so here's the thing, though. I'm about to talk about a work of supl- of sublime and transcendent beauty and the incredible emotional uh, attachment I have to it. So it's really going to raise the bar for whatever you have to recommend. I'll probably just talk about some shitty video game. <sighs> yeah. All right. So I'll go ahead with it anyway. So um, the other night, I think I've talked about this guy before, but I can't remember. Um Friday night at the Aero Theater in Santa Monica, they were showing a double feature of two films by a guy named Satoshi Khan, who is probably my, like, he's, like, if you I had to name my top filmmaker of all time, he would be, like, in my top three, he might be my top one, he's dead now, it makes me really, like, actually sad, um... And so they were showing two of his uh, earliest, fi- his two earliest films in sort of reverse order: Millennium Actress and Perfect Blue. Um, Perfect Blue is pr- is like the one that sort of made him famous over here. It's been quoted. It's a great little mind bender. It's very dark and weird. Uh, still has a you know I watched it in a room full of people. It still has a lot of effect. Uh, but the one I wanted to talk about was the other one, which is this movie Millennium Actress, which um. You know, I don't even know how. Basically, all it's really that's really going on is this guy who's, uh, this, um, basically this documentary filmmaker is making a a documentary or recording an interview with his with the actress in, who he has loved his entire life, both both as an actress, but it's implied just in every sense of the word, he's sort of in love with this actress who is now like much much older and you know in her twilight years and he's just trying to get a sense of her life story and so it's an animated movie all of satoshi khan's movies are animated i probably didn't mention that part um and as he's as she's talking about her life it becomes less it's she never actually talks about like the mechanics of the film she's in it's all about 
you know, basically the stuff that motivated her behind the scenes, this relationship we she had with this artist who she met very briefly and the way in which their uh, relationship was interrupted by the, you know, the realities of living in totalitarian World War II Japan and just all of the all of the darkness that that entailed. But then as she's explaining it, like the emotional beats sort of warp into the movies that she's been in so that like they're talking about it, but they're talking about it. And all of a sudden they're in the middle of like the samurai period drama or, or the middle of Godzilla or something like that. And it's just, it's amazing the way they managed to warp those emotional beats and like the constant movement into those film sequences in this profound manner. And, um, there's a lot going on. I have to admit, I could tell that, you know, a lot of the audience um, had trouble following it, and I wasn't really upset about that because this was like my third viewing of it. The first time I watched it, I had trouble following it. It's, there's a lot going on. Um, but mostly I just wanted to talk about how it made me feel, which is there are basically a lot of different ways to enjoy movies. You can enjoy them just as works of entertainment, you know, or uh, that are funny or or intellectual and they make you think or whatever they make you feel there's this other thing that people don't talk about very much which is just like every now and then a movie is just like um sort of a sublime experience like it's almost like going to to church or something and it's a weird thing to say but I, at the same time i feel like everyone has had this experience at least one point in their life we just don't talk about it very much because it's not something it's not something like you can share with people it's like it's like weird to bring up like in a party circumstance you talk about the movie that made you laugh or that made you cry or that made you think but you never just talk about oh no um i was in this movie and i sort of forgot myself and i felt like i was watching poetry because to talk like i guess what i'm saying is watching a movie there's a sense that it can feel like you're watching poetry. And then when you talk about it, it makes you want to use all this poetic language to sort of discuss. It puts you in touch with like your deepest, most artistic self. And it's sort of weird and personal and hard to talk about, which is why I'm doing such a shitty job of it. <laughs> um, I guess I just love that. I love that movies like that exist. I love the kind of people I feel like Satoshi Khan was very aware of that experience. And in a way, all of his movies or maybe are sort of about that experience, about the experience of trying to make movies that do that and about trying to, like, and about being a kind of person who is in love with that particular way of watching movies. Uh, the only other guy I know who talks about it all the time is Paul Schrader, who wrote, like, Taxi Driver and a bunch of other weird sort of, like, quasi-religious movies that he's called, like, Transcendental Cinema. But it's a fairly, it's a fairly well-studied phenomenon, but it's not... It's something, it's weird because I live in Los Angeles and so people talk about movies constantly, but they never talk about that and trying to understand why and why we're so uncomfortable just like admitting that like cinema or art in general has that whole element to it is something that, you know, I've been thinking about a lot lately. But um, one movie that is always really go-to for me to sort of access that experience is Millennium Actress. So I started watching it and there was this weird brief burst of anxiety at the beginning where I was like, maybe this isn't as good as I remember it. It's just sort of, it's just sort of funny in places and has good editing and timing, but it's not like magic. And then about halfway through, I just started like crying inconsolably for no discernible reason and, and just sort of felt that way through the end of the film. And then it the lights went up, and I could tell everybody else was like, 
I don't really know what just happened. And they don't, the man just kept crying. Well, it wasn't about me. It was just like they all had their own ways of processing that experience. And a lot of it was intellectual or what, you know, they wanted to talk about like the style or the editing or the story or whatever. But they couldn't really talk about their feelings or I wasn't sure if it made them feel anything. And I wasn't really super upset about it, but I was just trying to understand the difference or what that feeling is or what I was even trying to get at, which is what prompted this whole little way too long monologue. But Anyway, Millennium Actress, Satoshi Khan. He only made four movies, and that's really not fair. I mean, how many movies does someone have to make? Four sounds like a pretty good... I mean, he's the only... I guess what I'm saying is he's the only person where, like, legitimately, if someone was like, would you give five years of your life so that he could have made another movie that you could sit and watch? I'd be like, yeah, sure. That's a fair deal. What if you had to choose which five years? Like... Maybe your last five years you're looking forward to lying around not doing very much. So you're like, I'm going to get rid of eh, 45 through 50. Just asking. All right. Never mind. Anyway. Uh, millennium, yes. millennium or millennial actress? Millennium actress. Okay. Thank you for taking my very real thing and trying to... What do you think I was going to do anyway? I'm going to recommend a goddamn podcast. I don't have anything about feelings and all that. We can just end the podcast here if you like, because I can't make anything nearly as emotionally compelling. No, I'm not going to argue about anything being sublime. Um, I will recommend a another podcast actually, which is probably a terrible thing to do when you're on a podcast. But I think I think it can be a net gain for everybody. Um, and it's called uh, the Beef and Dairy Network, which apparently <laughs> that podcast has difficulty getting viewers because people assume, as I did at first, that it actually is just like some sort of weird uh beef and dairy. Uh, consumer podcast, uh, but it is not. It's a comedy podcast, which is ostensibly about uh, beef herds and dairy consumption. But it is really like one of the tightest, most well-constructed like audio comedy experiences I've ever listened to. Uh, it's hard to really get into it without spoiling a whole lot about it. But that's another thing too. Is it's not just like us, like every week we like are just being our random jerk off selves talking about whatever we happen to view. Uh, but it really does well about establishing a universe and uh, very clear, compelling characters. Uh, for instance, uh, there's a, uh, just this evil sociopath who manages to keep to, uh, forming uh, cults and escaping prisons and, uh, which God, I don't, it's going to sound, it also sounds so random when I'm trying to talk about it right now. Uh, but basics are, Hey, uh, it is about, Oh God, I'm killing myself. I can't do this. Kyle, yours was too good. And I'm crumbling and I'm scared. No, it's fine. You just have to access the part of yourself. That's still capable of loving something unironically and, and express that through the microphone. You can do it. There, only, there are only four types of meat. Everyone loves beef. The others are d- gross. Lamb is what causes addiction, and especially with mint sauce. But there may be a fifth meat, but if you talk about it, the government will get you. Be careful. Um, I'm just going to not even bother. Kyle, you gave a, a good long one. I'm just going to say, hey, Beef and Dairy Network, check it out. It's fucking hilarious. Uh, it's It's really obviously hard for me to describe, and I think you should really just get into it and give it a try. Waka waka doo doo, yeah. Uh, who boy. Now I feel weird. I don't know what to do. I had to just like spit out my nonsense without really explaining it at all because I'm not in the right headspace to do that after listening to the incredible emotional journey you went on. Oh, man. Now well, we can talk about Perfect Blue. Perfect Blue is just like 
crazy lady having a mental breakdown and a bunch of dudes are getting murdered. Yeah, I saw Perfect Blue, I think, when I was too young to see it. And yeah, just same. did not understand what the fuck was happening. Well, yeah, it's... Yeah, same. This this is actually the first time I've seen it since I was, like, 12, and it made a lot more sense now. Well, okay. Um, but it's also still very dark. I will say, like, it was weird watching those two movies back-to-back in that order, um, but it was fine. But you can tell... Wait, the, in which order? In Millennium Actress and then Perfect Blue, because the audience walked out and was like... Were those made by the same person? Those were two very different movies. That sounds like a good sign. Yes. That someone could create such uh, disparate works. <sighs> Let's get out of here. I don't know. How you feeling? Uh, I mean, I don't want to fight with anyone ever again. Okay. I Let's... mean, physically, that's fine. You know, in a, yeah, in I'll a, beat with... the shit out of somebody, but I will not mess with their emotional well-being. Yeah. <laughs>